Attention, there's only a month left until summer. And my friends at Manscaped are here to make sure your little Gotham is prim and proper for the season with the Performance Package 4.0. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for summer by going to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BATBOOK. Now riddle me this, what is in the Performance Package 4.0? Answer, the tools to keep you comfy for a night out in Gotham. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer maintains the front yard with a cutting edge blade that helps reduce accidents while maintaining the front yard. And you know the saying, the shorter the grass, the taller the tree. If you have some extra weeds in your ears and nostrils, the Weed Whacker is a handy device to trim the ones not even Pamela Isley would pluck. And if your downstairs desert is too dry for the head of the demon, refresh with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. It'll bring your Lazarus pit back to life. So stock your utility belt with the right grooming gadgets at manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BATBOOK. That's B-A-T-B-O-O-K, BATBOOK. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I'm your host, Ryan Maurer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network. That has a whole list of other Bat-related shows that also dive into other nerdy subjects we all love to frolic about in our free time. Batman Book Club is also on Patreon. If you like what's going on with the show and you want to help support it and keep the generators running in the Wayne Manor study, just go to patreon.com slash the Batman BC. Now, thank you for listening to episode 106, The Batcave Companion. I know the last episode was called The Batcave Companion, but that was with one of the authors of the book, Michael Yuri. Tonight, I have the other author of that book. He is a podcaster of the Cronenberg Chronicles, and he is also um, a Batman aficionado, massive fan, super fan. He's even wearing a Batman shirt right now as I talk to him. It's Mr. Michael Cronenberg. Michael, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. You know, anytime, any chance I get to talk about Batman, um, especially Batman in the 70s uh, mm-hmm. that Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams did, Marshall Rogers, Steve Englehart, all those guys, Irv Novick, um, I love it. So, you know, I can, uh, I can talk about them forever. Forever. I mean, Batman, I can talk about forever. And then even if we narrow it down to certain eras, just as long. Um, I, I have a couple questions for you for one. Let's uh, for those of you who, for those who maybe don't know, what's, what's a brief uh, summary of who are you and some of the work that you've done? Well, I'm a graphic designer uh, and I am the graphic designer for the film War foundation. Uh, if anybody has seen uh, Noir Alley on TCM hosted by Eddie Muller, uh, he is my boss. <laughs> he is the president of the Fillmore Foundation and the founder of the Fillmore Foundation. So I design 
um, their programs for their festivals. Um, I design their quarterly magazine. Um, I design their books. Um, I'm also the, I also work a lot for Tomorrow's Publishing who published the Batcave Companion, um, the cover artist um, the cover artist. I am the cover designer for uh, Back Issue Magazine, which is edited by Michael Urey. Um, and I've also designed and laid out um, a number of their books. Uh, I've written for Back Issue um, and I've written for uh, a couple of other magazines. There is a uh, magazine that I designed with uh, um, another uh, Marvel artist called Rough Stuff which was short-lived, which was about uh, like the process of creating comic book art. Um, and uh, that's about it. I, you know, I also, I also uh, publish a uh, boxing magazine. I'm a big boxing fan. So I oh, publish cool. a boxing magazine uh, called Ringside Seat. So I actually told, I told Michael this too, uh, that I found Back Issue magazine that like uh, maybe two months, three months of um, after the pandemic really kicked into gear, COVID really kicked into gear and the, the Batman 1989 issue. Uh, that was yeah, actually that how was I found. That, that was a fun cover to do. That was, like, that was one of the covers that, you know, I, I, there are a number of covers that I get to do that, you know, I just say, Michael, I am going to just do this one the way I want and go nuts with it. Um, and let's he, get nuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very it's perfect. Right. You know, yeah. from the movie, but, uh he's great because he lets me kind of like have some creative freedom on some of these i mean not all of them but on on certain ones uh and so they're a lot of fun to do and that one in particular was a was a lot of fun there's a really good one coming up oh. that, that yeah that I, I don't know if i can say anything i'll, I'll okay you know, sure say. i wouldn't want to get you in trouble no would you just say that i would be very it. interested in it yeah oh yeah. okay <laughs> okay all right good enough um Okay, before we dive into the Batcave Companion, your your part in it, I have to ask you what I ask everybody the first time on the show: of what is your favorite Batman story? Wow, that's hard. Um, Expected, but I but I'd have to say, and I I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's the one has the biggest impact on me, pretty close to being my favorite, and that's Batman two thirty two. Oh, and that, and that was that's that the introduction of Rachel Ghoul. And the reason for that is just because I saw that comic, I was about seven or eight years old. I saw that on the spinner rack at a 7 Eleven. Um, and I had before that, I had like bought comics as a kid. Um, it was kind of throwaway entertainment for the most part. Uh, you know, I had watched the Batman TV show, you know, and reruns and stuff, and kind of liked it. Um, but I saw that, I saw Neil's art, I saw that cover and it really took me. And I, mm-hmm. and I always had an artistic, um, even as a kid, I had an interest in art. My mother was a fashion illustrator and my father was also um, had some interest in art. And I looked at Neil's art and it kind of changed my life. I mean, if, if you can say a comic book or something changes your life and everybody has that moment that comic book and seeing Neil's art in it changed my life. And it made me not only want to become a comic book, well, I wanted to become a comic book artist, but I wanted to be an artist. Mm-hmm. And it also, I became a comic book collector 
and a comic book, uh, interested in comic book art. And from that point on, I recognized and I started seeing the name of a comic book writer, the name of a comic book artist. It's like I started recognizing styles. Um, and of course, Batman, because I love I loved that Batman. It was like all the only Batman I really had to compare to was, you know, the Adam West Batman, who was kind of goofy. And, um, and even the Batman that came before Neil, you know, in the Silver Age, you know, who had Robin. And, but this Batman was dark. This Batman was serious. This Batman was kind of scary. Um, and Neil's art and his ability to illustrate and render the grittiness and realism just blew me away. Um, and then you've got, you know, you've got the origin of Batman and Robin in that issue too. Mm. Um, which was, you know, a great thing to boot. And then you have the introduction of this really interesting and fascinating villain, you know, who has this tie to Batman and knows his secret identity. Wow. So I love that issue. Um, I could name a ton of other issues too that, that are great, but that's the one that had the biggest impact on me. That issue, so when you got it off that spinner rack, um, were you, did you treat it like a kid would, would treat a book or is that one in great shape at this point? I had to and rebuy no, it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I had to rebuy it. In fact, you know, it's funny, all of the, all of the, all, anytime I saw, anytime I bought Neil's stuff, um, those comics were really well read. I mean, the covers were starting to fall off. They were tearing mm. and fraying because as a kid, I was like, I was just studying. I was studying every panel that he, he drew and I was actually copying whole pages as a kid, you know, I was just copying an entire page. I would take an entire page and just copy it and draw it. And mm -hmm. So um, yeah, yeah, that stuff was well read. I, I, I don't think I got into the point of like taking care of my comic books. It, 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 was, it was a while after that. I was, I was still handling it like a kid and, and they were well read. So that reminds me of like the, uh, I don't know why it triggered me, but not taking care of, I had, I had a stack of comics that I was given early nineties and, or no, it, this was pre the stack that I was given. So I had some just, you know, random comics. And one was uh, detective Six Twelve, which is a Norm Bray Fogel cover of Catman and Catwoman kind of in silhouette and Batman's laying down, he's scratched and everything. And I adored that cover. And my mom was a babysitter and it was nap time and the babysitting kids went and just tore it to shreds. And it broke, it broke my heart. Yeah. But then awesome. I got a new, I got a new cover or I got a new, a new issue. I don't know why that started me asking if it's still in, in good shape. That's what it triggers. Like, I don't know. That's a painful memory, I guess that pops up at random times, <laughs> but uh, okay. Well, let's, Let's get uh, started talking about the Batcave Companion. I'd like to hear your side of it. Of how did um, how did the your involvement in the book come about? What's the origin story? Um, well, I. Uh... I had been working uh, as the art director and graphic designer for Comic Book Marketplace magazine. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, but uh, when that folded, um, I contacted John Morrow uh, because he, he's, John is also a designer and graphic designer and I loved his magazines. And I said, hey, you know, do you need any work? Um, I'm looking for some freelance work. 
And I had noticed that they were doing companion books. You know, they had done, Michael Urie specifically had done Justice League Companion, which I, I, had, I owned. And I owned his Superman Companion. I loved those books. I was like, man, I want to do a Batman Companion. You know, I was like, I got to do a Batman Companion. So I actually wrote out a proposal to him. I mean, a long proposal of like all the things I would handle and all of the things I would write about research and the people I would interview. I had already interviewed Neil at that point, actually. My original, the, the, the interview I did with Neil at Continuity uh, for those two days um, originally appeared in Comic Book Marketplace magazine. Um, and I had, I had the opportunity working for, for CBM to interview a lot of people. I interviewed Will Eisner. I interviewed Alex Ross, uh, Bernie Wrightson. So um, that was one of the things I, I talked to John about um, in, in my proposal that, you know, I would interview, you know, Denny O'Neill. And, you know, if I needed to go back to interview Neil again, I would Neil, interview Neil and Steve Englehart and so forth. And he wrote me back to say that um, Michael Urie had already, you know, started working on not I, I don't know how far Mark, Michael had gotten but he was he was he had already proposed doing a back a Batman companion and Michael agreed to like you know work with me and you know and it made sense that you know Michael who's older than me grew up with the Silver Age Batman and that he would kind of like handle that the book would be split in two and that he would handle the Silver Age Batman in the 60s and that because I grew up with the Batman in the seventies that I would handle that. And, you know, and I had already had uh, interviewed Neil and I had a friendship with him and his family. So that's kind of how that got started. Um, how did the discussion then go? Was it both of you um, basically agreeing as far as the, the point that you would start for the, like the bronze age for yeah, I, 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 you know, the thing that made sense was <clears throat> one bullet too many, which is Batman. Geez, what is that? Batman two seventeen, I think, or something mm -hmm. like that. That's when Dick Grayson leaves for yes, um, for for college, and uh, Bruce Wayne and Alfred leave Wayne Manor to go to the penthouse above uh, Wayne Foundation. You know, so I think. I think I started a few issues before that. There is an issue of Batman where, um, and it's that, this is actually logged in the index that I, I created. Um, mm -hmm. I think I started, I'm gonna actually refer to this. No, I actually start, I actually start with, yeah, it's Batman 217. So I actually started with it. Um, with that, I think I, I did my research and looked into the edit, the, the letters pages before that at the hints that Julius Schwartz gave that he was going to change, that there a big change was coming. That And he teased those, I think, didn't you say in your book, uh, he teased those in Detective even? In Detective, like, it, it's coming. Yeah. yeah the big, it, the he, big he, change. He, yeah, he, <laughs> yeah he, called it the, he called it the big change. Um, and I think it's Batman. I think it's either Batman or detective comic, like right before the issue, the month before 
one bullet too many that they show on the cover you know this it's an urbanova cover and it's like this uh very sensationalistic cover where like batman and robin are splitting up and you know it's like oh what is this about why the could this be and you know it's really all it is is at the end you know dick you know robin or dick grayson is hinting that you know he's going to be going off to school and he's going to be going off on his own and then you got one bullet too many and and that's it and that's kind of where that's the demarcation point really for the bronze age batman it's a significant change which i guess that, that would if you if you know your history which i mean you and michael clearly do and did it's like this is just very clear of this is where this is where we begin for the bronze age yeah and you know and i think it was i think it, it was planned and discussed between schwartz frank robbins and Denny O'Neill, that this was this deliberate idea that they were going to get Batman back to his roots, back to 1939, that, that one year, which is, I love, I love that, that one year where he's by himself because he's, he's very close to the pulp character. He's very close to the shadow who he's most closely based on. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, just like Batman with the clothes on his back, you know, he, he, he's, 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 he doesn't have the gadgets. They're going to get rid of the gadgets. And, and a lot of this came from the fans. There were fans who were writing in saying, you know, they were really tired of the camp. They were really tired of the buffoonery, you know. Um, and even me as a kid growing up, you know, when I, once I, like I said, I got that Neil Adams issue of, uh, of Batman and, and really got into that Batman who was the Batman, you know, there's the movie, the Batman. Well, at that time he he was he deliberately, they put that article before his name. He was deliberately the Batman from that point on um, and throughout the seventies. And um, so I really got into that. I love that. And um, the outside world still kind of attached the camp aspects to Batman and that's how they looked at Batman you know for me it was like oh you know as a kid it was like I took this stuff seriously and it sure. was it, it, it bothered me you know because it's like well this isn't what it is take a look at Neil Adams take a look at what Denny O'Neill is writing um mm -hmm. look at this stuff so you know that's one of the reasons I really wanted to write this book you know um and also I wanted I think people had forgotten that it was Neil Adams really who mm -hmm brought him back to being a creature of the night and brought him back to being this avenging um, hero, uh, you know, who was deeply affected by, you know, the, the, the death of his parents. Uh, I, I think people, not to take anything away from Frank Miller, because I love Frank Miller and I love Dark Knight Returns and I loved Year One. And I love Daredevil. I'm a huge Frank Miller fan, but I think too many people say, oh, you know, it was Frank Miller who darkened the character. He went from, you know, the camp thing of Adam West to Frank Miller. And it's like, no, you know, Neil Adams started. He started it in Brave and the Bold. And, you know, I know you've read the book. And when I interviewed Neil and I talked to him about it, um, Neil is the one who really started it. Um, and, he started it in Brave and the Bold, the Bob Haney stories, and he did it very simply without even changing Bob Haney's scripts. He just made sure he rendered Batman at night 
and Batman in the shadows, you know, and Neil's style of drawing was just so realistic. And so like, it was so different from anything else out there. And uh, I think so many fans took notice of it. You know, Julia Schwartz at first did not want Neil drawing <laughs> detective or Batman. He refused and Neil, you know, asked him over and over again and he refused. Mm -hmm. And it was Murray Boltonoff, who was the editor of Brave and the Bold, who took Neil on. And the letters from, from fans coming in saying, where is this Batman? Why isn't this Batman in Detective Comics? Why isn't this Batman in Batman? And finally, you know, Julie Schwartz had to give in. And I think that also was what kind of got them going, O'Neill, Schwartz, and Robbins into like, okay, you know what? Let's take Batman. Look what Neil has done. Look, people love it. Let's take Batman back to the way he was. Um, back in 1939 by himself mm -hmm. you know because comics in the 70s there was it was there was more relativity going on you know the real world you know uh you know certainly stan lee was doing it at marvel uh with with spider-man and uh you know steve Englehart was doing it with um with the avengers and captain america so um yeah, I think that I think those those things. But Neil was the was initially was the one who pushed it. So you know, my my one of the reasons I wanted this wanted to do the book was so that Neil would get the credit that I felt he deserved in in changing the character. We're on the subject of him, so I think let's just let's continue talking about Neil Adams because of course he's uh, still in the uh, the public. Um, zeitgeist if you will right now because he passed away recently um it's, it's a good time to reflect on his work in, in in this book you have which as you said this book was released in 2009 uh your interview which you put in the book too is was in 2003 right. um but i mean he's talking about you know late 60s early 70s so it's not it's not outdated. It's still, it's very well, relevant. It's, it's, ever, it's evergreen. It's evergreen material, you know? Exactly. And, and I was very happy that I was the first person to ever really interview Neil just about his Batman stories. He had never had, he had had many interviews. Neil has been interviewed many times, but Neil usually was interviewed over a broad subjects, uh, you know, uh, and he did so many things besides Batman, of course, but I did that interview for me more than anybody else. Sure. I was obsessed with his, his Batman stories. Like I said, you know, they kind of changed my life. And um, I asked him all the questions that I wanted to know. It wasn't mm -hmm. even, it had nothing to do. It was like, oh, I think, you know, people would want to know this kind of, it's like, no, I wanted to know this <laughs> I stuff. I want to know. <laughs> stuff I wanted to know. You know, I may not even uh, publish this interview. I just need to know for myself here. Okay, Mr. Yeah. Adams. Um, how did, how did that come about then? Can you take us through how you got that set up, your reaction and, and all that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had a million questions for him, you know, being a big fan and being somebody who was an artist and studied his work. Um, I had a, a ton of questions for him. And it, it's reflects a long interview. Um, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I got all the I got all the answers. And Neil's great. Neil was great. You know, they say um, they say don't meet your heroes because you'll end up being disappointed. Uh, that wasn't true with Neil. Not he true. Fantastic. I mean, I spent two days with him and he sat and, um, you know, at the time he was, he was it, continuity, his studio continuity was incredible. It was state of the art. Um, and he was sitting there finishing um, comps for advertisements that he was working on. 
as he's talking to me. And, you know, his wife, <laughs> Marilyn, would come over and it's like, Neil, get working. You have to finish this. And, um, but he sat there and talked to me and he was, he, he, he was great. Bought me lunch and, you know, uh, it was very relaxed and, um, and he never hesitated. He answered every question and he, ha- and he had the answers to everything. You know, it wasn't one time I asked him something that he said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was a long yeah. time ago. I don't know. You know, he had the answers. It's surprising to me how you said that with uh, so bringing his vision of Batman over to the Batman comics in, in solo, because it's like uh, he got noticed in a team up book, his work got noticed in a team up book. And so then it would be like, well, let's bring him over. So he's just by himself uh, with, with Daniel Adams. And you, and you do include in the interview with him of, of the editors. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm forgetting his name, the brave and the bold editor. Yes. How he seemed, how Julie Schwartz was very much like, no, get out of here. And Murray was like, yeah, okay. And just, and to have at it. And uh, I, I just like the story. And then because I've, I've heard Neil Adams, um, you know, listening to stuff on YouTube with him. And when he was on with uh, Kevin Smith, it's like, I could hear his voice, um, which is crazy because you were in the room with him interviewing him, but I could hear his voice answering the questions as I was reading it in your book. And, you know, that was just is a very good and fascinating read for me because of the information that he was handing out, which blows my mind too, that nobody had asked him specifically on his Batman run. Cause I feel like that would be something I know everybody asked him about. And maybe he was sick and tired of talking about like, I've done more than just Batman, but yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, he, he, he never came across to me as like, you know, Oh, I'm tired of talking about this. I mean, he mm-hmm. was, <clears throat> He had an answer for every question. Um, he surprised me, uh, which is great. I mean, in an interview, you want don't want to be bored. Yeah, I think he was. He, Neil is incredibly intelligent. Um, besides being an you know an amazingly talented artist and storyteller, um, but he was incredibly intelligent. But he also, and this is known about Neil, this is that you know he has opinions. He had very strong opinions. You know, uh, he told me he preferred. <laughs> Bob Haney's stories to Denny O'Neill's. He preferred working on, you know, if you just recently read the interview, I mean, that was, that struck me because it's like, for me, taking nothing away from those Brave and the Bold stories, I love them. And I love Bob Haney's work. It's, it's crazy at times. If you're familiar with the whole Brave and the Bold run, I mean, they're wild stories and they're a lot of fun and very entertaining. Um, but man, those Denny O'Neill Batman stories are just like, you know, they, for me, what O'Neill and Adams did almost transcended, you know, comic books, you know, those are great, great stories, you know, Night of the Reaper and mm-hmm. the story about the, the freak show, the carnival, the, the carnival people, you know, there's all kinds of stuff like that. So I was surprised that, 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 that Neil said that. That said, I watched a, a, a YouTube video, a very quick YouTube video of Neil talking and he was talking and he was talking up how great Denny O'Neill was and how great mm-hmm. it was to be in a partner with Denny O'Neill. So, you know, I think I caught him. Maybe at a point <laughs> He was just like, you know, Oh, Bob Haney, you know? Um, yeah. No, he didn't denigrate Denny at all. And I interviewed mm-hmm. Denny in the book. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We'll get to him too. But oh. um, anyway, you know, I, I, my point is, is that Neil was a great interview. 
and he mm-hmm. answered everything and he, he, he could surprise me at times too. I wanted to comment on that part too, because uh, I pulled out my, the uh, Batman illustrated uh, Neil Adams collections and I've been reading, rereading through those. And I, I dove into the, his first um, Brave and the Bold story with Dead Man, uh, Track of the Hook. Right. With with that and the the following story, and then I read, you know, some of the like the Batman two thirty two and and stuff like that too. And I could see what he meant, what I think he meant in the sense of Bob Haney's scripts. I felt were a little bit more like dense, but that's not like a negative. I just felt like there was maybe a lot more. Whereas Denny's to me, it moved faster where Haney's was like, don't speed read through this, just sit, absorb. Yeah, I think read the elements, the different layers. I think I think Haney's stuff is more entertaining. I think Mm. Denny, 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 if you if you know Denny O'Neill, if you're familiar with his work and his writing, I think Denny was going was more serious, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was trying to get across certain um Uh, certain social aspects and psychological aspects. I mean, Denny could be very, very serious and his stuff was very, very serious. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff. Um, and Bob Haney's work is not that he didn't have social elements into his, his comics. He, he, he did. It, it, sometimes it, it came from somebody who was... <laughs> A bit older and was trying to understand what was going on with young people at that time mm-hmm. which is very entertaining and very interesting but his stuff was more entertaining and i think that's what neil liked about it it was like it was it was entertainment you didn't have to think about it um you know it wasn't he wasn't he wasn't taking i think maybe neil thought denny kind of took himself maybe not took himself too seriously but maybe took the stories too seriously at times gotcha and I and I like that. I mean, I like that aspect of Denny's stuff. I mean, I loved, I love those stories. You know, you know, Neil even just was a little ob- objectionable about the Joker, the way he killed. You know that. You know, if you read in the interview, you know, it's like it took him back some. You know, I mean, this was something that, which was brilliant. I mean, you know, Denny, you know, brought him back, and brought him back to the as far as the Joker being the Joker brought him back to the way he was in 1940. And, and that is the Joker that we see now, you know, Mm -hmm. but for 30 years, the Joker was a clown. Um, and that's all he was. Uh, so, you know, Neil was like a little, a little put off by it. You know, he said, um, and, uh, there was something else I think also that Neil said, Oh, he was a little, he was a little put off by, the first story um the secret of the waiting grades because that was a horror story and it was mm-hmm. like he didn't is it he did a great job illustrating it but he was a little put off by the fact that it was a horror story it wasn't a detective story um and you know and if and denny when i talked to denny about that story you know his whole idea was i wanted that he wanted that first story that he did with neil I don't even know if he knew he was going to do it with Neil, but that first story of the new Batman, he wanted it very dark, 
he wanted Batman just with the clothes on his back and none of the supporting characters. He didn't want Commissioner Gordon in it. Mm-hmm. He didn't want Dick Grayson in it. He didn't want Alfred in it. You know, he wanted just Batman in it. I think it's a great story. I love it. Yeah, I mean, maybe Neil felt differently yeah. later on about it, but you know, like he told me that he was like, uh, I'm, I don't know if I would have gone in this direction. That's kind of what he told me. The something that, that you included that he um, talked about in here, and I mean, I told you I didn't have any gotcha moments that I was going to ask you about specifics, but here's probably the most specific part of uh, your part of the book is when he talks about the coloring, yeah, and how. At the time, Marvel was allowed to use 64 colors and DC was only allowed to use 32. That so there's something that's been hard for me just as a reader. I can't necessarily like binge read Golden Age or necessarily even Silver Age Batman stories. There's something with the blend of looking very similar to me. And there's almost like, and I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's almost like a little lack of energy um, in some of the uh, like some of the pages. Then he breaks down the variety of colors. And I latched onto that right away because in how he <laughs> which is great when you we, I've been, you know, watching interviews and stuff of him, of, you know, he's uh, he just felt like, well, why? And nobody had a really good answer. So he just pushed of let's why can't DC use just as many colors as Marvel? And he just by asking, and I think he put it as like, it took like 14 seconds or something like that. And then they got to double the color usage. Right. <laughs> well, and, and that was Neil. He was an innovator. Um, yeah. He brought in all kinds of techniques because I was talking about this last night on, on my podcast when we were, we, Tom and I were, Tom King and I were talking about, um, about Neil and, and this from my years of reading Neil and, and, and talking to Neil was that, you know, he, he and Jim Starenko both. And I, I don't think you can talk about in my, the way I think about it, I don't think you can talk about Neil Adams in full without talking about Jim Starenko and vice versa, because they both had a similar impact on comics. They had an incredible, both of them had an incredible impact on comics or, after Jack Kirby, they're the two most influential and important artists in comics. Um, my opinion, I'm sure people disagree, disagree with me, but that's what I think. And um, so Neil and Jim both came from outside success to comics and comics at that time. And granted, I think Jim was a little before Neil, um, Comics at that time were kind of a gutter publishing thing, you know, and it goes back to um, the days when, um, you know, the Comics Code came in and there was, you know, the, uh, the sweeping changes, the key fobber hearings that, you know, obliterated EC Comics and stuff. And, you know, and that's another whole story in itself. But, um, but, it was almost an embarrassment to say you were a comic book artist. Be a comic strip artist, to be a, um, a syndicated comic strip artist, that was like considered the greatest thing as a com- commercial artist if you did that. 
And <laughs> what you have to know about Neil is, is that he was a successful comic strip artist. He had the Ben Casey comic strip syndicated in hundreds of newspapers. And he was also a successful um, uh, illustrator um, and uh, did ads and he came to comic books and it's like, it's almost like slumming, you know, it's like he came from this success, you know, because he loved comics. He loved comic books and he loved superhero comic books. Do you think Same the comic thing. strip popularity was because of the exposure? Um, yeah, I mean, newspapers definitely, but the characters were more well-known. I mean, comic books gotcha. were just like, you know, uh, throw away real, I mean, you know, newspapers throw away, throw away material, but comic books were just throwaway stuff. I mean, you know, you, those characters just, they weren't, I think comic strips had a social angle to them too, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. Al Cap and uh, Walt Kelly, who did Pogo, they blended in some, 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 political stuff into their comic strips and millions of people read it millions mm -hmm. of people read it um granted you know comic books had a pretty high you know um a readership com especially compared to the, what they've got now back then but nothing compared to, com to, to to comic strips so like you said you know newspapers you're talking about millions of people you're talking mm -hmm. about every single newspaper you know across the country that's gonna you know he's got these comic strips that are and people would would read it daily every single day and then they'd get Sundays they'd get a color they'd get it in color so Neil came from that and he comes to comic books because he wanted to because he was a fan and he wanted to so and the same thing with Jim Steranko you know Jim came from being a very successful um art director um and uh he was also a musician Jim was also a successful magician and a skate artist I mean Jim had a lot of things going on um <laughs> And he, uh, he also came to com back into comic books because he loved comic books and he loved superhero comic books. That's what he kind of grew up with. So Neil brought in uh, a lot of the stuff that he did in, the com in commercial art. So the whole idea of the coloring and expanding coloring uh, just made sense. You know, he would pencil pages, you know, so that a, a page was shot in halftone. Uh, the Two-Face story specifically, mm -hmm. um, that splash page is penciled. Um, and I talked to Neil about that. And, you know, he, that's not the only time he did that. He did that, he did that in other, uh, uh, for other, for other, you know, comic books and other stories. He, he would, he would bring in pencils, he would grease pencils. He would bring photographic stuff in there. Um, there's uh, a church background in, the uh, Joker's Five Way Revenge in Batman Two Fifty One, which is a photograph. Um, so he he did things like that, and and Jim Steranko did similarly. Did you know um, a lot of uh, a lot of he he brought in a lot of innovative production techniques that had never been seen before. I, I like that quote as he said in there too. Of oh my gosh, and I, and I just forgot it too. Of it was something along the lines of. Well, the tools were there. They were just not like, just not being used. Right. So it's like, he, he seemed like he was trying to be very modest in the sense of, I didn't create anything new. Don't give me too much credit here. It's just the tools weren't being used and I used them. 
Um, I, I like that modesty and the matter of factness about that too. It's, I don't know, there's something cool about reading about that. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he, he thought outside the box because he came from someplace else. You know, he, yeah. he didn't come from, he didn't come from comic books. You know, a lot of the guys who were working and I'm not going to put down any of those guys who were working, but they were just, they, they, they were, it was their job. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what Neil wanted to do was he brought out this artistic sensibility and not that there were other artists or, you know, writers or people, colorists who, who didn't want to bring artistic sensibility. But I think Neil and Jim both coming from out, outside of the comic book world and wanting to be comic book artists, you know, um, I think there were a lot of comic book artists at that time, back in the 60s and the 50s, who were afraid to admit that they, they didn't want to admit that they, that they worked in comic books because that was like, that was looked down upon. And, you know, that was, their, that was a way to make a living. And their approach was that was a way to make a living. Um, you know, I'll, I, have to give, I have to give Stan Lee credit too. You know, I mean, the stuff that was going on at Marvel really changed things mm-hmm. you know i think marvel i think dc was kind of kind of set in their ways uh a lot more they it was an older generation and what stan lee was doing and the artists and the people that he was bringing in really revitalized comics gotcha well let's flip to his uh his partner if you will then of uh denny o'neill who Back in the um, March Madness time, I'm uh, gonna. St- it started to become an annual tradition now with the show on Twitter to do a bracket challenge here. And this year's was everybody voting in of who they think the greatest Batman writer um, of all time is. And Denny O'Neill came out on top. I was very not that anybody you know whoever votes uh, and they claim the winner like that's great and all the names mentioned are respectable. But I would personally say. From a writing perspective, I don't know who's done more for the character of Batman than Denny O'Neill. Would that something maybe you'd agree with? Um, I agree agree with that. I mean, I I think he he reshaped the character. And Mm -hmm. um, as he said in the interview with me, um, he he said, you know, what he and Neil did and what they were doing specifically in 1970 and 71 and how they presented the character is kind of the way the character is seen has been seen since. Um, And, you know, when Chris Nolan did his movies, uh, Denny and Neil both got very nice checks from Warner brothers. Uh, And that, I think that was from Chris Nolan because um, Chris Nolan pulled a lot from Denny and from Neil. Um, he pulled a lot from other places too. Pulled sure. a lot from Bill Finger, you know, and 1940 Batman in 1940. But he did pull a lot from from what Denny and Neil did. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I think Denny started that platform. He created the platform that that Batman stands on now. Um, and again, that might be another reason why I wanted to do the book because I think not to take anything away from Frank Miller because I love Miller. Sure. But I think he gets that credit and it's mm-hmm. like, 
he even Den, even Frank would admit. I mean, Frank, you know, has said before that he owes his career to Neil because he got his start by going to Neil and showing his portfolio to Neil and Neil tearing him apart, tearing apart his portfolio. At Marvel first? Did that happen at Marvel? No, Uh, he first got to New York. He would just come and bring his portfolio and show it to Neil, whether it was at conventions or or at continuity. I mean, Neil was great about about young artists, Mm -hmm. but he would would tear you a new one um, if he didn't like what he saw. And, and he always admired the fact that Frank kept coming back and getting better, mm-hmm. getting better and getting better. So, um, but anyways, I, I, I want, Neil and Denny deserve the credit for the Batman that we know now, you know, and the millions of people who see the movie, the, the Batman, and they see Chris Nolan's movie, it's like, that's Denny and, and Neil's Batman. And if you want to even go further back than that, it's Bill Finger's Batman, you mm-hmm. know, because um, they mined from that Batman in 1939. You know, I'll give Bob Kane a little bit of credit, just a little bit of credit, but I'll give mainly the credit to Bill Finger. So, you yeah, know, I, I, I should say <laughs> Bill Finger, Bill Finger, Neil Adams, and Denny O'Neill are who batman is right now i mean that was created by those guys so what was so at this point it says that the your interview with denny was 2007 you'd already met your hero and neil adams so what was it like then getting it set up when you found out that you were going to interview denny o'neill then oh it was great it was exciting um and you know this wasn't this wasn't an email interview this was i talked to denny over the phone so um a little intimidating, to be honest, <laughs> with you. Um, you know, because I mean, it was very intimidating going into Neil, too, but he made mm-hmm. me feel so comfortable at, at, at the studio um, and sitting with him and, and his family, too, you know, his, his kids and, and his wife, you know, they were so great. So they really made me feel comfortable. But, you know, it's like I had to call up Denny O'Neill. It's like, yeah no neil and i had you know all my questions scripted out and but he couldn't have been nicer he was fantastic um and uh you know he gave me all the answers he he i had i had things i wanted to know about the joker comic book that he started you know Mm -hmm. there was a joker comic that actually came out i was a kid when it came out and of course i bought it because it's like denny was so did it excite you when you knew that that was coming out because it's oh, like it's, it's very the joker exciting. every very, issue very exciting but what disappointed me was like wait a minute is the joker killing he's supposed to kill people what's going on yeah. here you know like and you know i had to ask denny about that and mm-hmm. um if you know you read the interview and, you, and, and denny talks about how difficult that book was to write because and why he left it because it just it really didn't make sense because because dc had said he can't kill anybody in this mm-hmm. and he's always got to be captured at the end yeah and so it's like well which maybe could be end, fun it, for four issues and then you'd be like okay I'm kind of sick of the formula exactly it, it, <laughs> it got very, it, i don't know if you've read all those com- i don't know if you've read those comics i think i read the first issue and was like because they, they collected, what was it? Maybe it was like, I yeah, don't know, 2010 or something. They did a trade paperback of them, which is yeah. now out of print. And yeah, I think I, I got my hands on one and read one. No, no I'm good. I'm just, I'm okay. Yeah, I don't it, need to you know, um, you know I, went, I went ahead and read all the ones I, look, I read for this book, I read every Batman comic 
every sure. Batman, the title Batman from 1970 to 1979, every single one. And, wow. you know, because it's in it's indexed and then i read every detective comic from whatever from secret of the waiting graves all the way to 79 but i also read the joker um and believe me after the second issue it got tiresome already you were, um, oh. <laughs> yeah i mean it, it was it was it was interesting as a curiosity after that but the story mm-hmm. the stories just once denny left the stories really got bad just flipping through your index which you know, I mean, the same thing for uh, other Michaels index too. The the amount of comics to read, um, I mean, fun, but then also, wow, the amount of work. <laughs> yeah, it was you know, but this was this was a labor of love for me. Sure, it really was because um, uh, I discovered all kinds of new things. You know, reading those stories, I. You know, as a comic book collector of age now, going from, you know, 70 to 79 goes for me from being a kid to being a kind of preteen. And there definitely was a period where I stopped reading comic books, you know, mm-hmm. I was more interested in other things. Um, and uh, so I got to catch up on a lot of comic books I had, um, I hadn't read. So there were, it wasn't like, I wasn't mining just old material. It was, some of it was pretty, it was new. And, you know, some stories were bad. Some stuff, mm-hmm. some stuff was not good. And then there were some real gems out there uh, that I reread. There is one story and I, I called it out specifically in one chapter. And this was David V. Reed, uh, wrote this and th- th- David V. Reed is, a, is an interesting person because it was like, it was a big mystery of who back in the day, who David V. Reed was. Mm-hmm. And um, I got that question answered because I asked Bob Rosakis, because I interviewed Bob Rosakis, who was, who was uh, Julia Schwartz's uh, assistant. And he also was a writer. He wrote the uh, calculator stories. He created the calculator character. And um, I said, well, who, what is the mystery? Who's, who is David V. Reed? And David V. Reed was actually David Verne, who was a, originally a pulp writer. He wrote the pulps back in the thirties and he was writing Batman stories under a pseudonym, uh, David V. Reed. But anyways, this story by David V. Reed is a take on the Maltese Falcon, um, uh, the 1941 film. Um, and I'm a big film noir fan. As I was saying, I work for the film noir foundation and, you know, I was a film war found fan, you know, way back and rereading that story uh, and seeing the parallels with the Maltese Falcon and Batman as the Humphrey Bogart character of uh, Sam Spade um, and how the femme fatale, it, 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 the whole thing just is, it's, he lifted it from the Maltese Falcon. And it's like, I don't know how many 10 year old kids would, would have figured it out by then at that time. I had that comment. I bought, I bought it off the stands. It didn't click with me. It clicked with me as an adult. And I love that story. And it ended up being, you know, here's in the middle of nowhere, like 1976, I don't know, 77. It was kind of a period of, or DC was kind of like flatlining a bit, you know, um, and, but it's just one of these gems, you know, that's just kind of in the middle of all that. So it was things like that, that reading all those comics, that was great. Just finding a gem like that. 
you say okay uh another random note so you said that i don't know how many 10 year olds but that's so rewarding in this sense of it takes me back to space jam in the 90s little eight or nine year old meme is watching it the game the game is going on the big game towards the end and i forget which two characters but it's like they shoot one of the bad guys and then it cuts to them and they have smoking guns. They're in shades and dressed in, in black suits and a white undershirt. And the music does like a, you know, I just thought it was funny. Add 10 years, probably five, six years, I see Pulp Fiction for the first time. And I have this massive aha moment of, you know, oh my gosh, it's just like Space Jam. Which Space Jam, that was their nod to Pulp Fiction. So, yes, the ten, the young, you know, young version of it, you may not get it, but then it's really fun as you grow older and expand, you know, your horizons sure. and everything starts to click together then. Yeah. And I wouldn't have read that comic if I hadn't been working on this book. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's just it's just one story. It's not like a it's not a story arc or anything like it. it's just it's just one single. It's just one single story. You know, and it wasn't until, you know, Steve Englehart and, you know, Marshall Rogers came on um, and Terry Austin, I always have to mention Terry, um, yeah. uh, came along kind of like really revived Batman again. I mean, they, they really injected um, life back into the character. I think and injected life back into DC, to be honest with you, because DC was really going through a bad period. As I was just saying with the connections part. So then what was your process in is you make a lot of great like connections here of including the you know the influence of pulp on batman and vice and the shadow on batman and then you have a a chapter of horrors you know inspiration to what daniel neal and neil adams were doing or neil adams in in general because you know moon of the wolf and the drawing of someone that looks like christopher lee from the hammer uh, yeah, films yeah. And stuff. And that was another thing that was fascinating for me because I interviewed Mike Grell, who was the artist for that story. Now mm-hmm. I saw that and then as a kid, I was a big classic, it wasn't classic at the time, but you know, horror movies and mm-hmm. I love hammer movies. Um, you know, and going back, you know, Neil talked about like Christopher Lee's Dracula the cape. was a big influence on the cape, on the yeah. cape that he drew. Um, and, and look, Neil Adams nobody had drawn the Batman's cape like Neil Adams ever before. And it was like, you know, you, I'd have to say Marshall Rogers, you know, then drawing, you know, his cape also. And Marshall had his own way of doing it. But man, Neil's cape was just, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. But anyways, there's this vampire story and I'm reading it as a kid. And I, and as I said before, you know, I, I had started noticing styles, noticing the art, um, you know, uh, and I'm reading, and I liked Mike Grell's work, bit of a Neil disciple. Um, and uh, it's like, man, this, this vampire looks like Christopher Lee, you know? And it was a great story. Elliot Magan wrote it. Um, and it's a really fun story. And it's like, I always, even as a kid, because I love horror movies, it's really cool having Batman. Why not? He's a creature of the night. Batman faced supernatural, you know, mm-hmm. characters and supernatural stories. Um, and I said, God, it looks like Christopher Lee. And I said, like, I'm looking, it's like, the, the, 
he drew this. I can see the stills. I know the stills that he worked from, that Mike Grell worked from. So when I, that was one of the things I had to do. It's like, I had to talk to Mike Grell and ask him about that. So, and he admitted, he said, yes, definitely. He said, I drew that. He said, I made it. He said, it looked more like Christopher Lee. And when I turned my pages in, Julia Schwartz said, this looks too much like Christopher Lee. You better change it. And so he had to change it. But the thing that was really fascinating about that story was that Mike Grell was not supposed to be the artist for that story. It's Bernie Wrightson. <laughs> and Bernie Wrightson penciled out layouts for that entire story. And Mike told me that, uh, it's, this is in the book, that he worked from Bernie's, Bernie's layouts. So, I mean, it's, it's a great work by Mike Grell, but boy, how cool would it have been to see a Bernie Wrightson Batman vampire yeah. story. Imagine in the, 90s, in the 1970s, you know. Imagine Grell taking on that assignment too. Right. He's, like, oh he's my gosh. He said it was, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, he, but it was intimidating. But I think, I think from what he told me, he felt like he had to go ahead and work from, oh. um, from Bernie's, from Bernie's pages. So, I mean, that one, it seems like you, it, you discovered it while reading a lot of these other connections. So the ones that I, that I just mentioned, um, did you approach this project already having in mind the connection of pulp and Batman and shadow and Batman and stuff? Yeah, definitely. Gotcha. Um, you know, I, 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 I had thought about that, you know, in years after, you know, thinking about specifically about, um, that story arc about Rachel Ghoul that mm -hmm. Denny and, and Neil did um, where Batman fakes his death. You know, it was like, I saw the connections to pulp. I saw the connections to doc Savage, you know, and how, and, you know, and, and Denny, I can't remember in the interview if Denny admits that he was influenced by, uh, by the, by the people who assisted, you know, he had, you had, you, you had Batman having the alias of matches Malone. And then you had Molly post, who was the skier who helped. And then you had um, the Asian scientist who helped. Um, uh, so it was very similar to Doc Savage, the people that Doc Savage, who his, his aides who helped him. Gotcha. Uh, you said, since you're a graphic designer, how much input did you have on the layouts of- Oh man, that was important. Okay. So I, I wasn't going to do this book unless I was able to design it. And the thing about doing that book, it's like, I, I found all of the art. I had to, at the time when I was doing this, there was only so much on the internet that you could use that, especially anything that was high res. So I ended up having to contact, I, I got a lot of stuff of original art. I used original art. So I contacted art collectors mm -hmm. who had um, this stuff, including sketches and um, I guess preliminaries of, of Neil's and, and other artists. And they were really great and they were really nice to uh, scan stuff for me and contribute. Um, but, you know, DC had to approve that book and I had to, I, I sweated it out. Yeah. How, because DC had rules about how I was supposed to show things and how I was supposed to, the size of, um, images and uh how i was supposed to depict things um they had very very strict rules and um i sweated it out but man when they approved it i was so happy when they finally approved it 
did they approve as you went or did you just present no, the finished final approval they okay. did at the end so it was really pretty you know it's like i i had we had to kind of think about it. it's like well what if they don't approve this and yeah you know i was even looking at it, it was like I, I was thinking about the things that they might not approve that i might have to replace and what would i do and how would i do it but in the end they were they, they approved everything i i think we awesome. had to one very minor correction and that was it do you remember perhaps the kind of the wildest rule to obey I know we're talking of a book that's over a decade I old, but could not, I could not, I could show covers mm-hmm. with the type for the, for, for like the type for the cover, the, the, the title, mm-hmm. but it had to be a certain size. I couldn't show large. I couldn't show it large. I had to cut off for some reason. I had to cut off the, 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 the title you know, like detective yeah. comics or Batman. And it's like, I don't know if that was a trademark or a copyright thing. Huh. I don't know why, but that was, that was a specific rule. So I don't think you'd see, you see any large images. Um, no, even that, that, I mean, the first chapter of, of this bronze age of the, you know, Batman 217, it is as if it's a very, it's a zoomed in portion of that cover. So right. we don't see which, which book or number or anything like I, that. On I, it. Yeah, That's they, that, interesting. That was, that was one of the rules. And you know what? That's fine because that, that opening chapter is, is much better zooming in on the, on, on, sure. on the characters that, as opposed to, you know, showing the, uh, the whole issue number, but. Wow. Yeah. That was, Rob, one, that, that's... That, was one, that was one thing I remembered. I can't, I can't remember some of the other ones, but sure. there were like a strict, there, it was a strict set of rules that they sent in. This was the last book that, you know, DC, I don't think Marvel ever had an agreement to do, to allow tomorrow's to do like these types of companion books but dc did have an agreement and it was they gave tomorrow's knowing they're an independent publisher um a very nice you know it the fee was 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 inexpensive you know they they recognized the fact that they were an independent publisher and um so this was the last book, unfortunately, um, yeah. that they gave that cut rate because after that it was going to be the only people could afford could afford that were the like the big publishers. Yeah, so this was it. Oh, this, this this was the end. That's too bad. I feel like it's a it's a marketing it's a book of marketing of read more you know Batman comics basically because even reading this and some issues that I didn't know that and you know the end is it it spoiled quote unquote. It didn't keep me from, I haven't read that one, track it down in one of the, um, one of the books I have or DC universe now, or, you know, digitally somehow and find it, it just creates more interest to, oh, let me see this. It's fresh in my mind now. I need to read it. You know, I think the properties became so valuable. I mean, this book came out, this book actually was delayed. We had to delay it um, for when the dark Knight came out. Because mm-hmm. the dark, we were working on it. We were about to release it, and the Dark Knight was about to come out. And DC asked us to put it on pause until after the Dark Knight was out, because they had some Batman historic books that were coming out, and so gotcha. we released it after the Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're you know, with the movies and the success of the movies, both Marvel and DC, um, and, and the millions of dollars, and the fact that you know you've got now Disney that owns Marvel, you know, you've got Warner that is ever expanding. Uh, owns owns Batman and owns the DC characters. You know, these properties are so valuable to them that they're not going to let anybody else do something like 
do something like this. So you're never going to see another, at least from tomorrow's, mm-hmm. another con- concentration on a, on, a, on a DC character like this. Um, right. And it's too bad because, I mean, I, I, you know, we were going to do, we wanted to do a second book and it would have been great. Yeah. So before we recorded, you'd mentioned that you want about a working on another one on Legends of the Dark Knight, which you and I were both just uh, gushing about before we hit record on what a great title. And I would oh, I would love a history of that series book, something yeah. like that. That would be oh, that would be great. Yeah, I don't think I think that's a book. I think that's a title that doesn't get. Um, it doesn't get enough talk, especially those first hundred issues, which were amazing. We've covered, let's see, on this, this is episode 106. Uh, Prey and Venom are the only Legends of the Dark Knight stories that I've covered that anybody has chosen. And I'm really surprised by it. I'm going to take, o- take it over and I'm going to choose a book myself. And it's going to be that Darker Than Death story because that, great- somebody needs to read it. Yeah. <laughs> More yeah, people need to great. read it. <laughs> that is a great that's a that's a that's a that's a great later arc for, mm-hmm. for the series i would love to now pick your brain on another uh i mean you could say iconic legendary use a your choice on the adjective uh team for the retroactively called strange apparitions of sting steve Englehart, marshall rogers and terry austin do you, was that also a run that you that you were in on from the ground, like from oh, release? Oh, ab- absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think I titled it um, the definitive Batman question yeah. mark because I think a lot of people think about it as the definitive Batman. And I think, you know, arguably it kind of is. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I was a big fan of Steve Englehart's before, you know, I was a big Marvel fan. Um, and uh, I loved his his run on Captain America and the Avengers. Um, so when I heard that he was coming to 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 do Batman, I was really excited. And you know, I was a teenager at the time. Um, and DC was going through um, a really bad time. Uh, I thought the books weren't good, especially Batman was. In detective comics you know the art i thought was kind of stale the writing was stale um and you know he comes along and you know and walt simonson was the initial was the first artist who was supposed to do it and walt's an amazing artist um i have a commissioned piece from 1980 over on my other ah. one that walt did what that when i met him at a convention you have a gallery in your room of, yeah, uh, all the uh, great artists. <laughs> um, yeah, well, no, and then behind me is a, is a poster of Dirty Harry, <laughs> and you know, in, in the book, in the book, I compare that that first Dirty Harry movie to the Bronze Age Batman. Hmm. Um, that was something that I strongly believe in. Um, you know, when I first saw Dirty Harry for the first time, you know, it's like I immediately thought, man, they need to make Batman movies like this. Um, but anyways, uh, as far as um, Engelhardt stuff goes, uh, you know, he first started out with Walt Simonson and then, you know, uh, eventually, you know, uh, Marshall and Terry Austin um, started working on it because they had, they had been working on uh, uh, the backstory, the calculator, which Bob Ruzakis, uh had created. Um, and th- those were the backstories in 
behind the um, the name Batman story and detective. And what was funny and funny was it's like I'm I'm looking as a kid. I'm looking at Marshall's work. And I'm going, God, this stuff's better. These stories are drawn better than the stories. I like them better than the Batman stories. Um, I'm, and I'm not talking about the story, how they're written necessarily. And the calculator is a pretty silly character, but, um, but the art is just great. It's like, man, I wasn't the only one. I mean, people were gushing over, over Marshall Rogers' work. Um, and what's interesting as far as Neil goes with Marshall Rogers was that Neil and Terry Austin both worked at Continuity Studios. Um, you know, Mar you know, Neil, you know, opened up the studio and had a lot of young guys working there. Um, and Marshall and Terry were two of them. And there is one of the backstories, uh, which is a Hawkman story um, that Batman appears in. When I saw it as a kid and looked at it, I was like, Damn, if this Marshall Rogers doesn't draw like Neil Adams, look at this. This is amazing. You'd think Neil Adams drew this. That was me as a teenager. When I talked to Terry Austin, Terry told me that that specific story, they had been working on that story. Marshall was penciling it, you know, and then Terry was going to ink it, but Marshall, Marshall's pencil pages were sitting on his desk. He left for the day. And he and Terry both left for the day. Neil goes over to his drawing board, to Marshall Barrage's drawing boards and looks at it and decides he's gonna ink these panels, specific panels. <laughs> and that's why they look like Neil Adams drew them because Neil wow. inked those, page, those pages. But anyways, it's just a funny little yeah. Neil, Neil Adams, Marshall Rogers story aside. Um, the, trad the, the, the biggest regret about the Batcave Companion has to do with Marshall Rogers, um, uh, who was a favorite of mine. Yeah. Um, he really got me back interested in comics again. When I, when I saw, when I knew Steve Englehart was gonna do Batman and he was gonna write it, I immediately said, oh, I gotta get, start getting detective comics again. And then after those first two issues that, that Walt Simonson um, did the layouts for, um, and then uh, when I heard Marshall was gonna do it, cause Marshall had already done a calculator main story in Detective. I was like, oh, I, I'm all right. This is fantastic. Marshall Rogers and Steve Englehart together. Mm -hmm. So I was really excited about it. Marshall was great. Um, and uh, I actually, became friends with Marshall in Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, I met him at a convention um, and we kind of just hit it off. And um, we had a, a couple of lunches together. And, but anyways, my biggest regret is, is that Marshall died before I could interview him. Ugh. He had a heart attack. Um, uh, and I mean, it was, it was like that. He, he, was, he had a heart attack and died. Um, you know, he wasn't in the hospital or anything. He just died right away from a heart attack. He was a chain smoker. Um, but that said, it was unfortunate. But Terry Austin, I was able to get in touch with Terry Austin. And Terry was just opened up to me about so many things that I had no idea about. I don't know if anybody really knew about some of the stuff that was going on <laughs> at the D.C. offices. Um you know, Joe Orlando wanted to fire them, you know, and Joe Orlando was, no, Joe Orlando's a legend. So, you know, but Joe Orlando couldn't stand their work. He couldn't stand their art. Um, and how Vince Coletta, who was the 
art director and vilified by many people as an anchor um, was there um, was kind of their savior uh, at DC, but they had huge fans and the, and the letters that kept coming in about their work, people loved it and people loved their work. But what I got from, from, from Terry um, was some real true honesty about um, being a comic book artist and working in the industry in the seventies and how hard it was. And some of the problems that Marshall had and the fact that Terry didn't get enough credit for the stuff that he did that, you know, Marshall, you know, a lot of times Terry was doing almost all of the art, you know, Marshall, you know, couldn't finish, could have finished stories. Um, you know, Marshall was having some substance abuse problems. Um, and, you know, Terry was doing the finishes and, uh, you know, I, I wrote about that. He told me about that, um, how he had, um, he just wasn't getting enough money for what he was doing for all the work that he was doing. And, um, you know, he kind of resented that. Um, yeah. And when you really look at those, when you really look at that art um, and you really look at Terry's inking, it's great. I mean, he did fantastic work. He's, Terry is definitely one of my favorite inkers of all time. You know, the stuff he did with John Byrne and, for X-Men was great too. They were a great, they were a great team also. I think but, what's, oh, go ahead. But that, that said, that run is amazing. I mean, I hold that run up against anything, you know, and I honestly, arguably it, maybe it is the definitive Batman. I think what fascinates me with that. So I already told you that so I, we did an episode, uh, it was episode 50 last year. Uh, some friends came on and we did a top 10 favorite Batman stories. Uh, Darker Than Death was one of them for me. Batman Prey was on there. And then Strange Apparitions is on there for me as well. It fascinates me just before even knowing any of the behind the scenes stuff that so much was done on the history of Batman in six issues. And it's not even like every story was the, like now, 22, 23 pages. I think some were even shorter than that. And the impact of those that that run had, I don't know if anybody's had a bigger impact on the character with, you know, with in a smaller amount of time. So I know that, that um, you know, rightfully so Dark Knight Returns is credited as so like it's brought such a punch to the character, but it's like, those are four books that are not your standard comic book size. This was six regular comic book page issues. And I mean, the, the dark night there, we could see the influences of, of the, um, of that run in the Batman. I think you could pull some as well. And there's no and, doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. All of the movies, all of the movies pulled from them. In fact, as far as I know, I interviewed Steve Englehart for the book also. And, you know, he told me that, you know, they, the 89 movie i think the batman the burton's batman he he did it he did a script treatment for that and they didn't use it and but in the end vicky vale is really silver st cloud mm -hmm. and wasn't i mean you could you could definitely see because there's a book i also read uh it was a hundred things batman fans should know and do before they die and there was an interview with steve engelhart there and i think he he said something similar and when you think about it that way of Okay, pretend that Vicky's name is Silver St. Cloud. 
okay, I think that a lot of that works. Imagine Carl yeah, Grissom I mean, is think... Rupert Thorne. Yep, yeah. a lot of that works. So like absolutely. You Jack know, Nicholson's I... Joker is I mean, you visually see him as Marshall Rogers' Joker, you know? It's like hmm, interesting. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, there's no doubt that that Steve Englehart was a great writer. Uh, I don't think people you know, when you told me that everybody, that people recognize, you know, Denny as the, the number one writer ever, um, not that I would question that, but I put, I put Steve Englehart pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, that run, he fits so much, as you were talking about, he fits so much into that run. <clears throat> and I cannot tell you the excitement of when it was coming out when and there were no at that time <clears throat> there were no comic shops you had to go to a newsstand i'd go to a newsstand and pick it up and the excitement of every issue when it would come out um because <clears throat> he did a real true kind of marvel that, that was like a marvel treatment of, of batman you know that was the kind of stuff that you saw marvel do with their characters that Englehart did with captain america that you know stan lee and uh, Jerry Conway were dealing with Spider-Man. Steve Englehart did that with Batman. He got it personal. It, it was there was a lot of personal stuff in there. You know, I mean, he had a romance with Silver Saint Cloud. You know, his his identity was revealed. You know, there's a uh, there's a politician who wants to wipe him out. You know, I mean, he had to face all of these things <clears throat> as a vigilante because it's like Batman was considered a partner with the police, you know, he was a part, he was, he was the guardian of Gotham city, you know, and in Englehart's run, you know, he is a vigilante. He's, he's a, he's an unlawful vigilante. And then add all that, add to all that, you know, the great work that Marshall and Terry did, you know, it's, it's incredible. The thing about Denny and Neil stuff was other than the Rachel Ghoul saga, um, that Neil didn't even draw all those issues. Irv Novick drew, drew, drew some of those issues and I love Irv Novick's work. Um, but Denny and Neil's stuff was scattered. You know, even, you know, there was a couple of issues before them and m- most of them, aside from the Rachel Gould stuff were single stories. You know, the continuity wasn't, there, there wasn't this continuity. It's like, oh, you know, what happened here in this previous story is, is continuing into this story. That was something that DC never did. DC was really concentrating, concentrated on single arc stories that were like just in one, one issue and that was it. Uh, it was rare that you got these multi-part stories. And what Steve Englehart did was, you know, Marvel did it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Mar- the Marvel universe that Stanley Lee created was a true thing. I mean, all the characters related to one another there was a true universe there you know dc didn't have that necessarily i mean they had team-up books but you didn't really have that you but Englehart brought that sensibility and i think that's what i love so much about it um and like i said you had these two young great artists and terry austin and, and marshall rogers working on it 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 is arguably the best batman story arc ever i think so just the story that we read, yes, I think adds even more uh, triumph to it uh, is the behind the scenes part when, and please correct me if I'm wrong, something of 
Engelhart turned in the scripts and then went overseas. Yes, to write a novel. He was going to be. He was leaving comics. That was his, yeah, kind of swan song for comics. He was going to go write, be, write novels. So that's happening. And then back here, Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin are just get like they're getting it from Joe Orlando, right? On and trying like didn't like their work or anything. So. Engelhardt's unaware that's happening. Rogers and Austin, you can only imagine like they feel maybe their days are numbered. And then what ends up happening? Uh, the fans adore it, adore their work, adore what's happening. Give us more. I mean, what a great like that in itself is a great story. <laughs> right, it's a fantastic story, and and I, I and I wanted to make sure that I got that across in the chapter because um, mm-hmm. I didn't know about a lot of it. You know, I mean, yeah. I knew about the adoration that they had from fans because you i read it in the letters columns but that was back in the day where um the creators didn't have that connection to the audience the way they do now mm-hmm. you know um be it social media now be it comic book conventions and and the interaction there um you just didn't have it um you didn't even have like creators working together. I mean, Denny and Neil never worked together. I mean, Denny told me he never knew if Neil was going to do something, was going to draw that <laughs> issue. He was never. Surprise. Really, yeah, he would just write a script and he hoped Neil would do it. He would hope. Yeah. But, you know, what, what was Neil's availability? And then also, Neil was also notoriously slow with stuff, you know. So, you know, you, he just didn't know what his availability was. So he had no idea after he turned in a script who was going to do it. He couldn't say, oh, I want Neil Adams to draw this. You know, that that wasn't going to work. And when Englehart left, he had no idea. Who, he turned in a script. He had no idea who was going who, who to do it, you know. Um, so, yeah, that fight that they went through um, was was something else and the screaming and yelling that was going on um and the fact that they they persisted and i don't know how how familiar you are with vinnie colada uh Mm. the anchor vince colada was the art director at the time of dc and he gets a bad rap, um, you know, because people always look at his 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 inking jobs as hack jobs um, because they look bad. They look like they've been rushed. But for in his defense, um, they would always give Coletta um, when an artist would turn something in really late and they had to get it turned around overnight, a story overnight. They'd give it to, to Vinnie Coletta and he would ink it and um, he had only so much time to go ahead and do it. I don't, I don't know if he was the greatest thinker in the world, to be honest with you, but you know, to some of his defense, uh, he had, um, he had a reason it looked rushed, mm-hmm. but on top of it, he, what he, so he was the art director and he was the biggest defender of Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin. Um, and the reason that they were able to stay on the book was because of him. Um, there's a book, I think, it's either come out or it's coming out from Tomorrow's. It's about Vinnie Coletta because he had mob ties. Oh. So he's, pretty fasc- <laughs> he's a pretty fascinating guy. Another good story. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that much about, I don't know about that. I just know in general he had mob mm-hmm. ties. So I'm, okay. I'm really interested in reading that book. Um, but it wouldn't have happened. At least Rogers and Austin wouldn't have been doing it if it wasn't for Vinnie Coletta. Wow. Excellent. Um, I want to respect your time. 
So uh, as we start to wrap up, I have a couple of questions. You can just a couple questions for you. You can elaborate if you want or don't at all. And that's fine. Just think uh, on a pick your brain a little bit. So in your opinion, what had what had a, a bigger impact, the new look or the big change? So Detective Comics 327 or Batman 217? Both, they were both huge, but I can't, I wasn't around reading, you know, Batman 327 and see it. Mm -hmm. All I know is the history of it. I can Mm -hmm. only speak for what I saw when I saw that Batman 232, when I saw what Batman had become, because I thought of Batman, as I said before, I thought of Batman, Adam West. So did many people, so did most people. And it's like, this is Batman, what Neil Adams did. So, so, so to me, the biggest impact is what Denny and, and Neil did. That's okay. Because, because in, in, in the other thing is, is like, that is who the character is now. As Denny said, you know, the character, who the character is right now is what Denny and Neil kind of got started. Gotcha. Okay. No wrong answer. Um, Wayne Manor or Wayne Penthouse? Um, I, I'm partial to the penthouse. I love Wayne Manor <laughs> and I love the Batcave, but goddamn, I love the I love the penthouse and I love Batman kind of like having to just work with his wits and his guile. Like I said, I love the Batman in 1939 before he had all of those things, but mm-hmm. you know. That's not to say anything bad about Wayne Manor in the back because I love no them. wrong answer. They're, they're they're important, but I it 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 just comes again from you know that uh, what got me started and what mm-hmm. uh, I know that you maybe you showed your hand already to this, but we'll see which issue another more impact had a had a larger impact. Do you think uh, Batman two thirty two or Batman two fifty one? Joker's oh, Five Way Revenge. Bat, yeah, Batman Two Fifty One. I think Two Fifty One. I, I mean, I I think I dedicated an entire chapter to that, you know, and how mm-hmm. and, and what they did. And I mean, even Neil, when I asked him, because that's the one story that Neil penciled and inked of Batman. And I asked one of the questions, like I had to know, is like why? Why did you do that? And he said, because I knew it was going to be special. Nice. And I wanted to, I wanted to do it all. Arguably. The greatest Joker story ever told. I don't think that it's, it is a top five greatest Batman comic cover of all time. I don't think anybody would debate that. It's, I mean, instinct was right. It was something special. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I agree with you on that. And I I think for me, when I think of Batman and the Joker, it's the first thing I think of, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. the killing joke is, 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 is brilliant also, but I think the first thing I think of is Batman's five way revenge. Or, I mean, uh, Joker's Five Way Revenge. Yeah, give us the sequel, Batman's Five Way Revenge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe the and, toughest. And, you know, one. the interesting thing, just to digress, the interesting thing is, is that it was Denny who kind of got that whole opposite, like the, like the Batman can't exist without the Joker and vice versa. That was first in that comic, you know, because the Joker is about to kill Batman, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like I don't want to kill him. 
It's going to ruin everything. Why should I? Yeah. He's, he's standing over him. He's about to put his foot on his on his on his throat. And he's going to he's going to kill him. He's why would I kill him? You know, it's like what fun is life without him? You know, and you saw that in the Dark Knight. Yeah, you know? I mean, all the way. You know, I think definitely. You know, Chris Nolan pulled from that story for that whole thing, and and the Killing Joke is kind of all about that too. It's like they're mm-hmm. that they're, they're they're each other's opposite number, and they can't exist without one another. It's such a thing that recent comic like um someone new to comic book reading and that could be you know the past couple years 10 years whatever it's could almost be taken for granted and, and it's like no 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 right. try try to get this context of at the time that wasn't that didn't exist and then joker's five-way revenge brought that to the forefront right. and you don't get something like that that just clicks because at that yeah. point i mean batman's 30 so 30 some odd years in existence joker too and they they stumbled across an idea that just worked. I mean, that's yeah, and that was and brilliant. That was, exactly, and that was Denny, and that was Denny who came up with that, who had that idea, and it's like, you know, it they took it from there, and it's still going on. That whole mm-hmm. that whole idea, you know, is 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 still going on, and it started there. Yeah. Um, toughest one yet, O'Neill and Adams, or Engelhardt and Rogers. Yeah, it's hard. that's very hard but um because again the impact that neil and denny had on me as a kid i'll go with them because um i wouldn't be into comic books if it wasn't for that comic book i picked up gotcha um i'm glad i'm asking and not answering this um let's see and lastly are you pretty I feel like I have to I feel like I have to answer them. So it's like I'm not going to yeah. get some <laughs> like oh it could be a tie. I'm I'm trying to no, give you some I appreciate it. Yes. I know this is tough. Only only us I mean us nerds only understand how tough these questions really are because I could I don't know. You know I'll answer. Of those two, I would probably go barely O'Neill and Adams over Engelhardt and Rogers. It's, it's a be- very tough call. And maybe because of Joker's Fiber Revenge helps get it, give it just the edge. Um, but obviously I love Engelhardt and Rogers too. Like, uh, are you, are you very familiar with Batman, the animated series? Yes. Okay. Love it. Perfect. Your favorite Batman, the animated series episode that's inspired by a bronze age story. So you've got the laughing yeah. fish, the yeah, laughing demon's fish. quest sideshow. Um, tough. The strange, is it the strange secret of Bruce Wayne? Yeah, which was I, which I was kind of disappointed in. It was like I was hoping that when they Hugo Strange is a favorite of mine. I uh-huh. told you before the before uh, we started um, the broadcast, and that's because of what Engelhart Rogers and Austin did. It made me want to go back and read all those Hugo Strange stories from you know 1939, yeah. 40, and forty one. Um, that's tough. Demon's Quest was great. That was a two-parter. Um, they basically then the, they and then covered the Moon of the Wolf. They did. They did Moon they, of the Wolf. They, yes, they did the Len Wein, the Len Wein story. That was Neil's last Batman story. Um, you know, in the seventies. Uh, I'd have to say the Laughing Fish. Laughing Fish, a favorite episode of mine, as well. Um, I think I liked the Demon's Quest. They kind of covered the whole, the whole uh, Al Ghul 
uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams in the, that two-parter, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Even, even to the, the shirtless duel sure. at the end. The duel, you sure, you know? Yeah. I love how Neil got into the, like, the whole thing about the Batman's nipples with me. Yeah. <laughs> the interview. <laughs> I was shocked everybody was. It's like, oh my God, Batman has nipples? Reading him, reading his uh, response in the book too, just made it seem like so matter of fact too. Like, well, yeah, everybody has nipples. What's the big deal? <laughs> it, it was a shocking cover. He did it first. Neil he, Adams did it, it was, first. <laughs> it was a shocking cover when you saw it when I was a kid. I mean, it was great. I mean, Batman had hair on his chest. chest. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Yeah. Um, that's great. So lastly, I try to do a poll question related to um, every, every episode. And so I was really trying to think, um, some specifics that I hadn't already asked you that I could use for the poll question. So I think, uh, it's on the Batman book club, Twitter's at the Batman BC, uh, poll question is which decade produced more memorable Batman comics, 1970s or 1980s? Yeah, oh, oh, this. So this is a poll for everybody. But yeah, by all means, feel free to if you if you think that you have oh, an answer. Oh, yeah, um, I'm thinking about that. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm weighing in on this because I also vote in these polls, even though I come up with a question. Yeah. Stuff in the 80s was really important. I mean, the stuff in the 80s are really impactful. There's a lot of stuff in the 70s that's not that great. You know, um, you had Denny and Neil stuff in the seventies and then, and, and, and Steve and Marshall and Terry stuff in the seventies. And then of course, uh, we've, we, we didn't get to talk about Archie Goodwin's one year. Oh yeah. That's a great chapter too. Which is incredible. And, and, and he does not get enough credit for the, for what he did. And it's a shame he only lasted one year. Um, and amazing that Julia Schwartz gave up editorship of that book for one year to Archie. Archie Goodwin's one of the, you know, he became the editor of Legends of the Dark Knight too. You know, after oh. Andy Helfer left, it was Archie Goodwin became the editor. Um, and Marshall Rogers, Marshall told me he came back to do Batman again because, because, of, because of Archie Goodwin in, in Legends of the Dark Knight when he did his arc. Um, that's a really tough question. That might be the toughest one you've asked. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I would give the edge to the seventies because I feel like it was more spread out. Whereas, I mean, someone like, someone like you, who's kind of a Batman historian, you could rapid fire um, early eighties Batman stories, but I don't think like a lot of people could, they would focus on dark Knight returns year one um, death in the family killing joke which was the latter half of the 80s so the latter half's very strong and impactful but i almost feel like the 70s because of these two teams spread out that day i think the art for me when it comes to the art i think the art in the 70s gets the edge no doubt yeah um i think miller is a great writer and i think year one and dark knight returns and alan moore is a great writer i think their stories and Brian Boland is a fantastic artist. Yeah. Um, I mean, it took him two years to draw The Killing Joke. Um, but um, 
it's really hard. That's really the the, the, the toughest one. I mean, if, if okay. I go back to the reasons for my other answers, which was, you know, the seventies, I'd have to, say, I guess I'd say the seventies has, 70s. Been, but very hard because there's some really important, impactful stuff happened in the eighties. Yep. That shit that helped shape comics mm-hmm. now and help and help shape the people who are creating comics now. Wow. Yeah. Because well, know, no more questions. I know, I know Tom, <laughs> I know my buddy Tom is, is, you know, he loved Miller's, you know, I mean, Dark Knight Returns is very important to him. And a lot of the, a lot of the writers and artists now, I mean, they look at Dark Knight Returns as like the most important book in their lives. You know, it's right up there with Watchmen, you know, it's yeah. important. Okay. Well, I'm glad I saved that one as the poll question at the end. I don't want to drain you with any more tough ones. So uh, this has been a this has been a treat, a real joy to sit and, and talk to you for. I said an hour. I think that's always a lie. Um, I always go over because it's Batman. But uh, appreciate yeah, you I taking talk the time. About Batman for three hours. That's you keep problem. going. Okay, this is half. You want to keep going? No, okay. <laughs> no, if you want it, if you got more questions, I'm I'm, I'm game. Um, uh, well, well, definitely you and I, if, if you're fine with it, let's stay in touch and let's bring you back on and um, talk some more Batman for sure. Sure. Um, I'd love to. If you uh, would would like, where can people follow you? Plug away with anything and everything that you'd like. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at MW Cronenberg. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh as I said, the Film Noir Foundation is who I do a lot of design work for. Um, Two Morrows also. Um, I've got my own boxing magazine, Ringside Seat. Uh, so you can usually find me retweeting stuff that has to do with the Film Noir Foundation and um, Two Morrows and boxing magazine. Um, I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> I I, uh, I do Busy. packaging for uh, Blu-ray movies and DVDs oh, cool. and stuff also. Um, so, um, and I also have a podcast that I do with my son, which is about kind of anything and everything called the Cronenberg Chronicles. So that's available on Apple if anybody's interested. Awesome. Definitely track that down. Cause as you've, as you've mentioned, um, as of this recording, you have recorded an episode with, Tom King. Yeah, two. Um, we talking two, about Neil two, Adams. Yeah, we did two episodes with Tom. We did one just a general talk and then um about the stuff that he's working on. And uh and then we did one about George Perez and and, and Neil Adams. George last Perez. Night yeah. So uh look and subscribe to that, the Cronenberg Chronicles. Um as for as for me, you can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter and Instagram at the Batman BC for latest episodes and upcoming episodes and sometimes some giveaways. You can subscribe to the Batman Book Club YouTube channel. Uh, if you have anything you want to write in about, you can do that. Uh, email the Batman BC at gmail.com. Uh, you can help support the show in a variety of ways. Uh, Patreon.com slash the Batman BC. Go to T Public. There's some merchandise if you if you want to help the show out that way. Uh, Manscaped, our sponsor, manscaped.com. Get 20% off from free shipping with the code BATBOOK. But the best way you can help uh, if you don't want to spend any money at all, it's 100% A-OK, is rate and review the show. Whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, just give a nice review. The more reviews it gets, the more it helps spread the word. 
And as we all know, the word is panic. So for Michael Cronenberg, I am Ryan Lauer. Until next time, read more Batman comics. 